In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. You don't need me to tell you that things are getting more expensive. You already know it and feel it. And if you somehow didn't, don't worry. Every single media outlet and politician running for anything in this country will make sure you hear about it. Mr. Speaker, we are extremely concerned with the rising costs of living. Canadians are experiencing the biggest jump in their grocery bills in more than a decade. Gas prices could hit two bucks a litre by the May long weekend. That's why we have 30-year highs in inflation today. There are 10 million people right now that are worried about whether they'll be able to pay the rent. Inflation rising. Purchasing power shrinking, interest rates increasing, money buying less, a pandemic, supply chain, war, and always, always, oil. When we talk about inflation, you are well acquainted with the buzzwords. And that is doubly true whenever politicians campaign on it. But I'm not sure how many of us understand how we got into this mess how long it might last and how bad it might get, and how we'll find our way out again. So today, we'll try and explain all that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Pedro Antunes is the chief economist and the primary spokesperson for the Conference Board of Canada. Hello, Pedro. Hi, Jordan. As we speak today... How bad is inflation in Canada, and uh, do you expect it to get even worse? Well, we're hopeful that it's in fact peaked, Uh, but we've actually seen inflation in the latest numbers from Statistics Canada uh, at 6.7% year over year. And that means that uh, uh, if we compare the basket of goods and services that people purchase in in this country uh, compared to what they were, uh, those same goods a year earlier, uh, we're seeing prices increase by, uh, you know, essentially 6.7%. So that's um, much higher than we've seen inflation in certainly the last 30 years. Inflation has generally averaged about 2% annually. Uh, so this is, I think, a situation where we kind of forgotten how nasty inflation really is at eroding our purchasing power and, and really uh, taking away from our, uh, you know, our ability to continue spending. I think you've nailed it there that uh, so many of us have either forgotten or have never experienced inflation like this. And I think um, I'm hoping that we can get a bit of an explainer of the the fundamentals at work from you. But first, just because you mentioned it, how can you tell um, if inflation has peaked or not? Well, we don't know for for certain, obviously, and there's a lot of uh, things happening. And, you know, we can talk about some of the 
issues and, and uh, situations that have led to such high inflation to begin with. Of course. But I think uh, from our perspective at the conference board, you know, we're, we're essentially hopeful uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll see at least this commodity price shock that has been brought on by the war uh, temper out and, and hopefully we'll see an end to a war uh, that will allow commodity prices to peak and, and perhaps start coming down. And of course, as prices come up, this is inflationary because inflation is really the change in the price level over time. Uh, so if they peak or if they stop increasing and actually start declining, we could actually have uh, you know some pressures really eased up in the sense that, for instance, uh, oil prices could actually come down a little bit. Uh, that would be dis disinflationary. In other words, taking a little bit away from inflation or high prices of everything else. So there's nothing uh, for for sure, but uh, yeah, hopefully in the in the coming months we'll start to see these numbers that Statistics Canada puts out on a monthly basis uh, either stabilize or uh, you know fingers crossed start to come down a little bit. You mentioned the war as one of the driving factors, and I know particularly um, for oil that's a big cause of it. But uh, but this was trending up um, months before the war started. So yeah, maybe if you could uh, succinctly, just like what are the factors at play here? Is this kind of a perfect storm? Well, in, in many respects it is. Um, well, I, I guess the number one, uh, the starting point to all of this is that, uh, you know, we suffered through a pandemic in 2020 uh, that shut down a lot of economic, a lot of the economy, including, uh, we can take one example, for instance, uh, including shutting down demand for oil. We actually saw demand for oil drop by 9% in 2020. So over the that year and the next year, uh, essentially supply adjusted to that. And in other words, we saw production of oil. And in fact, you might remember back in the spring of 2020, oil prices actually went negative uh, because people just didn't know what to do with this stuff for a month right. or, or, or two. Yeah. So, um, you know, supply had to quickly readjust and uh, prices, uh, you know, eventually kind of stabilized back then. Uh, but these, this situation that we saw with oil, we saw across the board with all sorts of goods uh, and services through, through, through the economic closures that we witnessed back then. So as the economy reopened, um, there's two things that really happened. Uh, in many developed economies, uh, essentially incomes were really strongly supported. So governments came in with programs like the CERB and, and others, mm -hmm. and actually household incomes and household balance sheets improved during this pandemic. It's the first time in my history that I've seen a recession where incomes actually grow, in fact, grow very strongly. Right. So, you know, the, the, the wherewithal was there from households, not just in Canada, but in most developed economies. And as the economy reopened, uh, you know, demand took off and supply didn't keep up. So that was the fundamental factor in oil and across a whole bunch of durable goods, uh, mostly, uh, that caused this, uh, these, this first wave of inflation, if you'd like. When, uh, when we look uh, further down the road, then, um, not only is this um, exacerbated now by essentially higher oil prices caused ju not just uh, increases in, in, in price directly on consumers in terms of gasoline, but it also leads to higher transportation costs. And, right. uh, you know, we saw all sorts of issues with respect to this kind of multiplier effects on prices through the economy and globally. 
And add on top of that, uh, you know, a labor market crunch, as, as you know, you know, we've seen uh, employment mm-hmm. rebound and now, you know, essentially work, a lot of uh, organizations and employers in Canada cannot find workers. That's adding to some of the pressures. Uh, we're starting to see wages coming up. And then uh, finally, on top of all of that, um, you know, this this war, which caused a massive global commodity price shock, which added to the price of just about everything, including uh, all of the things that uh, Russia and Ukraine produce. Uh, we can think of oil seeds, we can think of grains, we can think of a lot of resources and minerals, uh, and in particular, again, oil and natural gas. So all of these, um, all of these pieces adding on one on top of another to uh, the inflation numbers that we're seeing today. Are some things typically impacted more by inflation than others? I'm thinking in recent months, you know, we've done episodes of this show discussing grocery prices, discussing uh, consumer goods and gas, obviously. But does it apply equally to everything? Or are some things more vulnerable, I guess, to the pressures that you just described? Well, it's, I mean, I think it just depends on uh, which products you're looking at. Um, You know, early on in the pandemic, the issue was really related to this massive demand for durable goods, especially in 2018. let's say late 2020, early 2021, you know, the services side of the economy was very much closed. We couldn't get to restaurants or, you know, we couldn't get to uh, to travel and, and uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy hotels and, and other things. So we were spending very much on durable goods, but housing took off and we were spending on, you know, essentially cars on uh, recreational um, um, uh, bikes and um, and on uh, you know essentially furniture and and goods for homes so the prices of those things essentially demand uh, supply couldn't keep up with demand and we saw the price of those things uh, just accelerate and that's what was driving inflation at first on top of that then we had uh, you know a drought in Canada and many other parts we had trouble with uh, agricultural production back in 2021 uh, that led to high uh, food prices. Uh, the energy price, I think, is one which adds to the, it kind of layers itself on the cost of just about everything because pretty much everything that we consume is transported. Uh, and of course, oil is, um, you know, is essentially a, a, also an input into a lot of plastics and materials uh, that go into all sorts of goods and, and uh, as well. So all of these things are kind of layering on each other. What, what I would say is that uh, what's really driving inflation in the, in the latest numbers has been gasoline and food. And uh, those are important because they tend to be uh, things that we cannot move away from. I'm really glad to be able to ask some uh, some of my dumb questions about inflation because it is a topic that we we're inundated with and often in a partisan way. I know there's a lot of campaigns that will run uh, over the next little while on inflation, and they always talk about purchasing power. And so I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is there a difference between inflation and the average Canadian's purchasing power shrinking? Like, is that all driven by inflation? I know so many of us feel our money buys less and that necessities are more expensive. I'm trying to get a sense of if there are other factors at play or if all those factors kind of combine to form inflation. To, to me, uh, purchasing power or, you know, the real 
incomes, uh, which are essentially to me the same thing in, in, in essence, uh, defined as, you know, what are your incomes growing, your, your wages, your other uh, sources of income? How much are those things growing by? And how much is the price of the, of the things that you purchase increasing in line with those or is it increasing above? Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, inflation as measured by Statistics Canada is looking at a fixed basket of goods and how that basket, in fact, in fact, there's some adjustments to the basket in, in some cases. Uh, but generally speaking, you can think of going to the grocery store, filling your, your basket and, uh, Statistics Canada is trying to get a sense of how is the price of that basket of goods increasing over time. Now it tends to be, Goods. It doesn't necessarily include, uh, well, goods and services. It doesn't necessarily include everything. It does include the cost of home ownership, uh, your, your materials, your energy that you need to, uh, run your home, uh, to run and, and, and live in your home. So it, it is a pretty encompassing, a pretty good measure of essentially your effective purchasing power over time. What measures do governments have to control inflation? Is it just the interest rates? And how much uh, or not much has the Canadian government used that power so far? In, in this case, obviously, there, there are some, um, there, I think there have been some things that we could have done better. Uh, but generally speaking, when we look at what's driving inflation and the, the excesses that I talked about, it's, it's essentially that some of the support and we've got to give kudos to governments across the, well, in Canada and across the world for really putting in the support in what was, a, you know, an exceptional circumstance of, of the pandemic and putting in those programs very, very quickly on the ground. Uh, however, when you look at the size of the, um, uh, of the support, that it was a very generous, in general, a very generous package that uh, was put out onto the economy. So that's one of the excesses and perhaps uh, the, the situation that has been driving, uh, you know, kind of these fundamental increases in demand that supply hasn't kept up with. Uh, that's one aspect. When we look at the situation right now, certainly I think governments do need to consider and think about easing up on the gas pedals because we're in a situation where the economy, in fact, according to Statistics Canada, we are now at full employment. We are now at the lowest level of unemployment yeah. that we've ever seen in this country since the survey was started in, in 1976. So I would have looked to governments now to have a lot, uh, you know, perhaps a lot tighter budgets, uh, especially at the federal level where we're still seeing a deficit that's around 2% or a little over 2% of GDP coming into this, into this fiscal year. Uh, not to take away from the programs that we might need that the, the, that we want to implement in the future, but right now it would have been nice to have seen a little less on the gas pedal. Um, and you can think of programs like you know, the housing program, we want to increase housing, but it's going to be very difficult at a time when materials are so expensive already and labor is in short supply. So that's kind of one of the points. I think the other, of course, is we always look to not so much government, but our independent central bank uh, as to setting interest rate policy or monetary policy that will help 
with the challenge of inflation. And I think there too, uh, you know, there's obviously different opinions, um, you know, how long we should have kept in- interest rates as low as they have been, how much more quickly might they have come up, how much sooner we might have talked about, you know, inflation being a little more problematic. You know, we were often hearing from our central bankers that inflation was transitory, uh, especially in 2021. And, and it's absolutely true. Some of that was transitory. But even as it started to bite and we started to see more inflation, we didn't see quick action necessarily from from the central bankers. So I think all of these things are uh, are tallying up. And, and now it leads us to a situation where there are risks going forward. Uh, inflation, you know, it, it's we're certainly expecting inflation to peak and, and perhaps ease. But if inflation gets ingrained in the mindset of households and businesses, in other words, inflation expectations start to get elevated and stay elevated, it's going to be much, much harder to fight back inflationary pressures going forward. I'm going to ask you about stagflation and kind of the worst case scenario um, in just a moment. But I want to pick at one thing you said, which is that it's it's a lot of the programs and spending on things like support programs and housing programs that contributes to this. And I just can't wrap my mind around how we would look at that as a solution to inflation, to ask people who have less already to make do with less so the people who have more don't have to pay more. Like that kind of seems unintuitive to say the least to me. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is that um, to, to fight inflation and, you know, what we're seeing the central banks doing now uh, to fight inflation, uh, you know, the the essence of that is to slow the economy, slow aggregate demand. And uh, um, unfortunately, it's not a very fair way to do it. Obviously, if you let inflation run, it eats, eats away at purchasing power and incomes, and it eats away at those incomes for the lower income households mm-hmm. more quickly, of course, because of the, the fact that these households, lower income households, have to spend more on those basics that are very expensive right now. So there's there, there's no really easy solution. Either you let inflation go and erode incomes and uh, you get concerned about it getting ingrained in the system, or you fight inflation uh, with higher interest rates. And guess what? This is just another hit to purchasing power of consumers. When you raise interest rates, you make it more expensive to borrow. Uh, what you have borrowed is going to be more expensive to finance over t- over time, especially mm-hmm. as we're so indebted, especially on the mortgage uh, uh, side. Um, so yes, there's no easy solution to this. In fact, in, you know, when we start to uh, to to fight inflation, we're actually as trying to reduce even further uh, how much consumers are, are spending on the on the economy. So what is the worst case scenario then? You mentioned that inflation goes up and just kind of stays up and never comes down. That's stagflation, right? How does it work and, and what happens if that, uh, if that does occur? Yeah. So, well, our baseline view, as I mentioned earlier, our, our baseline view really is that we'll see hopefully inflation or at least prices of some materials and some products and, uh, you know, energy in particular peak and then start to come down. And we've seen hints of that. And Hopefully this war will get resolved uh, in Ukra- the Ukrainian war will get resolved as soon as possible, uh, and for all of the for all of the reasons, uh, but also to see some of these commodity prices that we've seen a huge shock to, uh, at least stabilize. Um, but the the worst case scenario really is one where we start to see inflation getting ingrained in expectations, and that means that people believe they need to see their prices 
their wages increase substantially to cover the cost of price increases uh, because they don't believe that inflation is going to come back down to the bank's target of, of 2%. Uh, so if that happens, um, and the point is that it's not that, you know, we don't want to see people having wages increase in line with their cost of living or, or further than that. In fact, you know, that, that, that's optimal, but that has to come with productivity gains. If it comes without gains in productivity, in other words, if we're just seeing price increases, um, uh, or wage increases that aren't reflected in increased capacity, increased production, then that just in, ends up leading to higher prices uh, that uh, that the producers have to have to charge. So it leads to this kind of vicious cycle, like we saw in the, in the late, uh, well, in the 70s and, and certainly in the 80s, uh, where inflationary pressures were just ingrained. We just had higher inflation because wages were rising um, and prices were rising all in, all in tune. And it took a really hard hammer on the economy to slow uh, those expectations down, get them to 2%. And then the bank had been successful for 30 years, as we discussed, uh, at keeping inflation expectations in line. So the risk now is that we end up with uh, inflation expectations rising again. And, you know, in our scenarios, we essentially look at what it, what we would need, given, you know, history, what we would need to get inflation back down if, in fact, inflation expectations rose by 3% above normal. In other words, if people started to expect inflation be 5% every year instead of 2%, uh, you know, we'd need a pretty big hit to interest rates to get that back down, according to again the tools and, and the tools and models that we have that reflect kind of our past behavior, and what we found is that uh, you'd need you know an, another two two hundred basis points added to interest rates. So in other words, seeing interest rates going from you know a half a percent where they were not just to two or two and a half percent, but perhaps to four four and a half percent on the shorter end of the spectrum right. to kind of fight those kinds of inflationary pressures. So another kind of very costly uh, situation if we were to have to face that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a scary prospect for anybody um, taking out a loan or a mortgage right now. My question for you, though, I guess, is is you say we might have seen some signs that inflation is peaking or has peaked. Um, I'm speaking right now for all the people who are looking at headlines promising $2 gas uh, coming sometime in the next week and a half. What are those signs? Uh, what what do you watch to tell you that inflation is actually coming back down? Well, I'm looking uh, at commodity prices uh, more specifically. So I know that uh, a lot of commodity prices have uh, taken off and, and they really ramped up uh, uh, during the war, obviously during at the start of the war, and we're very concerned about grains, uh, oil seeds, and and energy. Um, but I am I think that one of the important metrics is, for example, oil prices. And we did see oil prices um, getting well. Uh, they got well over a hundred dollars a barrel, hundred and ten, hundred fifteen dollars a barrel. Uh, we're uh, starting to see those ease a little bit, um, and I think. Oil price is a key, uh, a key, a key uh, variable because, uh, as we discussed, it it has such an influence. It layers itself onto the price of just about everything. So um, I think that's an important indicator that we might see prices peaking now. Gasoline prices tend to line up very closely with oil prices, uh, certainly over the longer period. When I say longer period, we can talk about weeks and months. Uh, but there are times when gasoline prices kind of surge ahead of that. And, and what we're seeing right now is driving season. Driving season's coming. 
in North America, in the U.S. and in Canada. Uh, we've opened the economy. People are starting to travel. They're anxious to get out, and they still have a lot of capacity. I mean, people have put a, uh, socked away a lot of savings uh, with the support programs that we saw over the past two years. And so I think they're just very anxious to get out there. So that's why gasoline prices are now seeing such a, such a, a significant rise. Um, but I think things will settle and we will see hopefully, uh, oil prices leading the way and seeing the price at least of gasoline, transportation costs, and perhaps some other things st- stabilizing and, and hopefully easing. Fingers crossed. I have one final question for you. Um, if you were taking your economic learnings and, and everything you know about the current inflation crisis uh, to a tabletop budget, what would you tell Canadians to plan for in the coming months? What should they be doing uh, to make sure they're as protected as they can be, I guess, from whatever comes next? Well, that's a really tough question and perhaps the reason why I'm not a politician, because uh, some of these questions are very hard to answer. Um, you know, obviously, politicians are concerned about what's happening because, uh, you know, voters are concerned about what's happening. But the truth is that it's really hard to get away from uh, high inflation, especially when it's affecting such staples as as food and, and gasoline, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about some governments wanting to now subsidize, in fact, uh, in, in a way, in other words, reducing some of their taxes on gasoline or perhaps on other items. Uh, but, you know, we're in a an energy transition as well. And, you know, this is a signal, I think, that maybe we'll actually see an acceleration in that energy transition, motivating people to move perhaps more quickly. So all I can say, I think, for households, uh, you know, be be uh, be aware of the of the things you're putting in your basket. Um, you know, there are ways to moderate the price impact by looking at uh, substitutes and other goods. Um, having said that, I, I certainly know that that's not easy. The the other thing I would uh, caution is that you know I, I think we're going to see a period where we see interest rates coming up and up. So if uh, households can avoid more debt, I know that's been a something of a, a challenge in the last not not just through the pandemic, but even prior. You know, aggregate household savings rates had been quite low. Uh, quite worrisome and they continue to be a little worrisome so hopefully people are thinking more prudently uh, perhaps uh, uh, putting aside a little more and uh, trying to avoid getting into too much debt because i think the interest rate pinch uh, on households is also going to be substantial pedro thank you so much for this really insightful you're welcome it's a pleasure pedro Antunes of the conference board of canada that was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Call us and ask us a question, any question that you have about how we make this show or what's coming next. That phone number is 416-935-5935. 416-935-5935. Never gets old. Email us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca and find this podcast in every single podcast player where it permits. Please leave a rating. Please leave a review. We read them all and appreciate them all, even, to quote a disgraced former president, the haters and losers. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.